Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Hopper. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters at weedweek.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. This week, we have an interview with Elvis McGovern, owner of El Rey Engineering in the East Bay. Yeah, El Rey Engineering and El Rey Manufacturing are the two enterprises. I went there in Berkeley and I, I, I took a tour of the place because I became interested in engineering just from talking to this guy. I recognize that it's a facet of, of the industry from the grows to the, the vape pens that we just don't think about very much. And some people actually go to school for mechanical engineering. That's what Elvis McGovern did. But other people sort of become engineers through the process of problem solving. And, you know, I walked around this place. I saw how he fabricates these machines to adjust for the needs of the product and I guess the audience, it was really revelatory. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm saying this as someone who has no aptitude for, for science or engineering. So what's, what kinds of problems is he solving? Well, I, I think there's problems of scale. You're trying to make a certain amount of oil and the demand becomes bigger and the time crunch becomes different and you have to improve upon these machines. There's a level of ingenuity here that struck me as... Um, Born of necessity and also born of like pot necessity, <laughs> frankly. And then, this is what I want to say about this guy is, you know, there's a voice in America that we often don't have on the podcast. We don't often have drawls, you know. <laughs> and there's a line in there because he calls himself the MacGyver of weed. He doesn't call him that. Other people call him the MacGyver of weed. And I kind of poked fun at the beginning about it, like how in every town there's an easy E. So maybe there's a MacGyver of weed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They say there's one in every Burning Man camp. <laughs> yeah. He, a he, MacGyver. You might have seen. This man in Burning Man. You know, and I have to be clear for everyone it's who's like in, Do you know who MacGyver is? Yeah. Go ahead for, for yeah, the kids. But it's like a it's like a Mr. Fix It. And it was a TV show that ran on ABC. That's where it comes from. You yeah. know that, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it, it became a joke. It was like a mediocre TV show, but it became a, a meme in pop culture that MacGyver is a guy who can fix anything. And this guy, Elvis, Elvis is in the building fixing shit. <laughs> Yeah, like he used to say like MacGyver can make a car out of like the spring in a pen or something like that. Right, and I think there are people being engineers all around the cannabis scene, and we're 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 not really aware of it. You know, we just see the results of what they do, and that's why this is interesting. It sort of makes external this thing that's omnipresent. And you know, some of it is is pretty technical, but well, he's he's dealing with some some pretty technical stuff. It it's a little bit over over our heads as uh, yeah, well. Yeah, I was saying, don't worry about it, because if I can deal with it, you can handle it. I'm an idiot. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about guns and weed. Yeah, and I wanted to do that because I I know about Corey Gardner largely because of Weed Week and the job here. And What's Cor happening with him? So Corey Gardner is a Republican senator from Colorado, and he is regarded as one of the most vulnerable Republican senators in 2020 because Colorado is an increasingly liberal state and he's very conservative. But he's also probably the most prominent Republican supporter of cannabis. Right. I mean, I he, mean, it's serving right now, I guess John Boehner would be overall. Right. He's become a prominent um, cannabis industry booster, probably the most prominent one in the Senate, certainly among Senate Republicans. Yeah. But he also had a bunch of people protesting outside his house early this month because of his support for the NRA. And I, I, that's why I wanted to have this conversation. I feel like there are politicians that the cannabis community has become a, 
attached to because of what they've done in the past. I think about people like Dana Rohrbacher, who was a really hard pill for me to swallow. <laughs> and what happens? Do you keep supporting these people when they're um, they're kind of not any good to you anymore? I mean, I think Cory Gardner realizes that there's no no path to re-election for him without the cannabis industry. So he's going to probably be as good as to folks as, as he can be. At the same time, he, he's trying to walk a pretty narrow rope. I mean, not just on guns, but in his sort of support for the Republican Party as it, as it is now. Yeah. Well, he's facing a possible challenge from John Higginlooper. And I I know that John Hickenlooper has props from the, the cannabis community. Does he just, what does he do? Well, I mean, John Hickenlooper, the cannabis industry is pretty lukewarm on him. Yeah? Actually. Tell me about that. He wasn't, and Cory Gardner also wasn't a supporter when it initially passed in Colorado in, in 2012. I don't know exactly what Cory Gardner was doing at that time. But he, he was not, he hasn't been a, a big booster of cannabis until fairly recently. And John Hickenlooper was governor when Colorado voted in 2012 to, to legalize recreational, and he wasn't too big on it. He was skeptical. He made sort of a dumb joke about Fritos. But then he did, you know, oversee the creation of the world's first regulated marijuana market. And he, he got on board with it, and he took, I think, a fair amount of justifiable pride in the success of, of Colorado's market and how it's generally seen to be one of the best functioning right, ones. There's no denying that him entering the race, if he does, maybe by Monday we'll know, it hurts Cory Gardner. He's having to live, lose a little bit of that, you know, pro-pot. Uh, he owned the issue. Yeah. He owned I mean, the issue is what I mean to say. But nobody in Colorado is going to be anti-pot. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, what is your threshold for supporting a cannabis-supporting candidate? candidate is there is it i know you're not a single issue voter by any stretch yeah. but do you have one i mean I, I would have to say you know given our our current political climate it would be very hard for me to vote for a republican under any circumstances <laughs> so i don't even necessarily vote based on cannabis but fortunately there are other things to talk about besides politics that's right let's talk about engineering I'm in Berkeley, California with Elvis McGovern, and I'm going to find out why he's called the uh, MacGyver of weed. And I'm going to tell you just straight away, it, when, I, when she said that, I thought about like how with rappers, you go to every town, there's an easy E or whatever. Uh -huh. I wonder if in every market, there's the a MacGyver of this or the MacGyver of that, right? Of weed. Yeah. There must be a lot of them. I don't know, why, are you, what, why are you called that? So I think what, you're, what, you know, what that comes with is... A lot of people don't understand the science and the, and the know-how and the engineering that go into what we do. Mm -hmm. So when they see it, the closest thing they know is MacGyver. <laughs> so, and that, you know, and uh, to be honest, a lot of it too came from, you know, when we were working in the early days, it was a lot more like MacGyver. You know, you were putting uh, this pump from here that we could get at the grocery store mm -hmm. with some parts that we could weld up in the shop with you know, just whatever we could find basically together to make these extractors and make the machines that we now use in cannabis. 
Mm. You know, nowadays we're using industrialized equipment. Right. But back then it was, you know, you were really MacGyvering together a system for yourself. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you to go back. We're actually here in your building in Berkeley and there's a lot of amazing stuff going on. But you should probably tell the audience what your business is. Yeah. So our business is called Type 7 Manufacturing. And it's called that because we hold a Type 7 Manufacturing license from the state of California, which allows us to do volatile solvent extraction. So our core business is bulk oil production. So we mm-hmm. produce bulk uh, concentrates, primarily crude and distillate, distillate being the biggest one, uh, as well as higher end concentrates. So we'll do uh, dabbable products, sauces, live resins. We also do a lot of co-manufacturing. So that's our, uh, we're building that side out more and more now. What kind of manufacturing? It's called co-manufacturing. And so the idea there is if you have an idea for a product, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to go through the the hassles of setting up all the infrastructure to do the manufacturing or that's not your core competency. Mm -hmm. So you'd rather spend your time either selling the brand or growing, you know, growing the business, whatever it is, instead of having your own in-house manufacturing, you hire somebody like ourselves Mm -hmm. to produce your products. So that's what, that's the other side of our business. Well, you've been showing me around the place and I see all these amazing looking machines that Apparently you and your team have made? Yeah. So my background is I'm a mechanical and chemical engineer. Um, I started a company called El Ray Engineering back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Back then it was, I was actually reclaiming used animal fats from uh, slaughterhouses and from uh, grease trap waste to convert into biodiesel and sell on the open market. We were doing that and that's kind of when I got involved with cannabis was around that time just kind of consulting on it at first and, and kind of help out build these MacGyver systems. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely we morphed into starting a company called Weird Science Labs, which is another uh, co-packer down the road. And so I left there to kind of uh, grow the extraction side of the business. But during those times, you know, during the early days of that, I was yeah putting together these extraction systems and then uh, putting together distillation systems later on. Right. And so I had run big industrialized versions of all these things that we were doing. And actually the hardest thing in the early days was to make it as small as what we were doing. And still it's a little bit of an issue. I don't understand. What I'm saying is there's all this machinery out Mm -hmm. there in the world. That's broad enough. Yeah. (laughs) That is, I mean, an industrial machinery is expensive and it's designed for large scale manufacturing Mm -hmm. and cannabis, you know, in comparison to the oil value of oils is really high valued oil, but you're doing really, really small volumes compared to standard industry. So if you think about, I mean, I came from, you know, biofuel, we were going after the number one traded product in the world, right? Mm. Liquid fuels, Mm -hmm. crude oil and liquid fuels is the number one traded product by a huge margin. So you go from that industry to trying to do cannabis, it's hard to scale everything down. Mm. Um, so they just don't make equipment that small. You can't buy an off-the-shelf pump that small easily. Mm-hmm. You can't buy the right heat exchangers easily. So that's why you end up with this MacGyver system. Oh, we'll have this piece from over here. Oh, we'll take this pump off of this unit. We'll take a heat exchanger off of this unit. We'll put them all together, and we'll make our own little system. Okay, you were in D.C., right? Or Grew up in D.C. Yeah, I grew up in Mount Pleasant. And so I was in D.C. till I was 17, hit the road for two years, traveled around, and then I had gotten into Drexel University in Philadelphia. So I deferred for a year, mm-hmm. traveled around, 
had some had a lot of fun. But you went there and you got a degree in mechanical engineering. I did. What's the difference coming into cannabis between coming in with a degree like that and just sort of learning along the way? What kind of advantages do you have? There's a lot of very smart, self-taught people that are engineers and that are or have learned manufacturing. I think the two things that really helped. One, an engineering education is in my mind, very valuable because you learn two things really well. One, you learn how to work with numbers. You get, you get really good with math. And a lot of people who can't get the science portion of engineering end up going into business because it's similar mathematics. So a lot of the stuff that we learn, you know, a lot of the skills we learn in it as engineers cross over into business very well. And then the second part is the science background, right? So you know what engineers... What, what an engineer really is, is as somebody who applies the rules of science into the world. So, you know, you're taking the math and the physics and the chemistry and all these different, you know, core scientific fields and then figuring out, okay, well, I can use physics and I'll come up with a pump design, right? right? And then on top of that, the next tier that really is engineering is, and, and especially chemical engineering is saying, okay, well, I'll take this pump, this heat exchanger, I need it to do this process so I can, I can tell all the, the heat and energy inputs that'll go in. I know how to size my pumps, know how to size this. So do you think, like, when you, because you came in with a degree in a fully formed, you know, complete classical education, you had an advantage over these people? Would you hire someone who had a degree in engineering, mechanical I, engineering, over someone who's interesting but clearly winging it depends on what it's for i will say half of el rey's team is not or actually all the engineers currently working with us are not classically trained they were self-taught now they worked as engineers previous to this for many years right um and you can there's also a lot of stuff in engineering school you do not need like what there's there's a lot of really high order math that i have never used there's a lot of signals and, and no, you know, this is hard. It's hard for me to say which classes aren't useful. They're not useful to me. Other fields, other professions, they are useful for. And especially being trained as a mechanical engineer, they call them like the Swiss army knives of engineers, right? We learn a little bit of everything. And we're, we're kind of the most diversified, I would say. I'm sure somebody's got something to say about that. But I, I think that mechanical engineering is, is pretty much the most diversified field. Of taking all of the elements. You got it. You get a little bit of everything, and then you can specialize in mechanics and, right. and dynamics. So when we go and we see all these different machines, and I'll let you explain what was going on. Can you talk about what the variety of um, machine making, what, what's some of the stuff you're making back there? Yeah, so we primarily are working on extraction technology. Mm-hmm. I would say that's what we've spent the most time on. And so again, you know, when we were doing this back in the day when it was much smaller scale, you know, we were doing two pound columns, one in two pound columns, and we might be running, oh man, this is kind of embarrassing now that I'm thinking like where we're at now. But yeah, we might, we were maybe running 10 to 15 pounds of cannabis a week. And that to yeah. us was huge. What are you doing now? Now, if we do below 400 pounds in a week, it's a bad week. <laughs> and is that just, that's all because of the, the technology's improved or the, you've improved? What's well, both. Two things have improved. I mean, one, the business has come forward, you know, moved forward as an industry. Concentrates are just way more in demand than they used to be. Yeah, as, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, crazy. We were kind of like this weird side thing for a while, this interesting product. Right. When did that change? I mean, it's still growing. It's been, it, it, every year it grows. 
I would say like in 2015 is kind of the beginning, you know, when distillate hit the market, that was what really changed everything. When vape carts really became a much bigger, easier thing to produce. Right. And did you see that coming? You knew that was happening. And no, we to scale no. Up? So actually I will say this story it was a funny story. So at the time I was actually in Chattanooga, Tennessee, working at a factory, trying to get the smell out of some recovered oil. It was great oil smelled like just smelled terrible. So we were trying to remove the odor bodies in it and we were trying to do that by distillation. And so I was in this lab, had a still going. And when you're running pot stills, there's a lot of waiting. There's just a lot of sitting around monitoring, doing nothing Mm -hmm. during that period. uh, My old business partner called me and said, Hey, look, there's this new product on the market. They call it the clear. We don't know what it is. We don't know how they make it. Do you know what this is? And so I'm like, I, I, I don't know. You got to explain it some more, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, he sends me a picture or a video of the process of the product. And here I am sitting in front of a distillation apparatus, distilling over oils, mm-hmm. looking at this picture, trying to figure out how it's made. <laughs> and I, t- I call him back and I said, I'm pretty sure I know what to do. Mm. Pretty sure we know how to make this. So bought the equipment, sent it over back out here to California, flew out a week later and we started distilling. Wow. And that really kind of launched us forward. And that was the era of like, the new era of distillate really was a big deal because mm-hmm. that, that made vape carts much easier. You know, that whole industry began to take off mm-hmm. and that really changed the face of concentrates. I mean, you look at vape as a, as a portion of the market now it's humongous, mm-hmm. right. And keeps growing. That's why we do so much more volume now than we used to. Now the machinery helps, right. That allows us to do it. Right. And I wanted to ask about that because you've showed me some places where you had a machine that seemed like it was functional, but there was an ability to improve upon it. How do you decide when you make that move? Because it, like, it seems time intensive as hell. Ugh. So the other thing that was easy is when we were doing these smaller scale systems, uh, iteration was easier, right? You're, it was faster to go through cycles on, well, let's try this system. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, let's try this new thing. And so actually back then, a lot of what I would do is we would run during the day And then after the operator, we only ran one shift. And when the operator would go home, I would retool the machinery. I'd try Mm -hmm. a new experiment. And then they'd come back in. After hours. After hours, yeah. And then I'd, you know, so I'd work late and change up the machine. Then the the operator would come back in the next day. We'd run it together. And then I'd see what went wrong, tear it down, rebuild it, repeat, 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 repeat. I mean, I can't tell you how many times and how many different configurations we went through till we got the kind of system that we wanted. Again, I come from this background of building automated, you know, industrialized factories. So I knew right away I wanted to get to a system like that. Now that proved again at this scale, and this is a difficult product. This is, it's a finicky, finicky product, this one. Hmm. Um, it has a lot of nuances. And Are you talking about temperature control primarily? Or no, no, no. There's a, I mean, I'll go into that in a yeah, second. Yeah. And you don't have to. No, no. I, it's interesting, though, because I think a lot of people don't realize how, you know, just how many things are going on when you're post-processing and processing cannabis. Mm-hmm. Because no, I don't think people think about it. They really no. don't. I know. It's funny. People talk about it. It's, it's always interesting when I talk to customers who and consumers who have an idea of what they think is the process Mm-hmm. And hearing their version sometimes is kind of <laughs> we'll, we'll give an example. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, funny ones. People get terminology or they're like, well, they, they pressed this product and then they took it 
and then they blew air over it, and then they extracted it, and then they distilled it. And you're like, okay, yeah, so I'm I'll, not sure what you mean. Like, great, I'll try it. You know, let, let's just, is it good? Let's try it. All of our extraction specialists in the audience are laughing. It, but you're the only ones who get it. It's, a, it's an interesting, anybody who works in extraction has heard the stories. Cannabis oil is a mixture of hundreds and hundreds of molecules. Right. And they all play differently with one another. So let's start with the cannabinoids, right? So the cannabinoids in particular, the way that cannabinoids are formed, you make uh, CBG, right? And then that converts into different products. So uh, different enzymes in the plant will convert it into these different cannabinoids. They're all very similar. They have a very different effect on you. And they are, you know, they, they do have different properties. They have different boiling points, different energies to boil, different viscosities. Some of them are more crystalline than others. You know, for instance, CBD, if you've got a, a, a distillate, right? An 85% THC distillate is a nice, clear, slightly yellow oil. Looks amazing, very beautiful. You can get the same product in CBD, but over time and pretty rapidly, the CBD crystals will begin or the CBD molecule will begin to crystallize. And so it'll, it'll start to, you know, sugar up or, or crystallize inside the jar. So these are, you know, almost very, very, very similar molecules, CBD and T, or THC and CBD, but they do act very differently from one another. So on top of that, you know, you hear about THCA and THC, the acid form and the non-acid form. A little bit of heat and temperature will cause THCA to convert into THC, right? It'll decarboxylate. When it does that, it releases a CO2 molecule and that CO2 has to escape. So if you're doing that in a closed system, you generate pressure because you're now, you're carbonating the, the environment. So there's all sorts of, that's what I'm saying. We're now talking about two molecules. You have these interactions. The term Minimax, do you know that term? Minimax. Yeah. No. You don't know that term from, I was told it was a, a term that engineers use where you, you want to do the minimal amount of effort to have the maximum outcome. Yeah, got it. Okay. So we're talking about the scientific part a lot because you've t- taken me to the tour, but I know you run a business. Sure. And that there must be parts of your engineer self that are expressed across leadership of the business and keeping it together. Why are you smiling? Yeah, I'm laughing. <laughs> well, I get criticism for it too right it's good i i see the good sides of it sometimes and i also see the bad well, what sides would the of criticism it. look like um engineers right a lot of our job is is we argue a lot with one another in engineering <laughs> because there's a lot of ways to skin a cat as they say right mm-hmm. so you always have to prove why your method is better there's a lot of proving via Pro, you know, lining out the pros and cons of something, running through a lot of the numbers. So that is beneficial in, um, in business, I think, right? It allows you to really vet out a lot of your decisions. Because in engineering, you can't just, there's never the right answer is, well, I feel like that'll be good. That's not a good enough answer in engineering, right? You have to prove everything. No intuiting? When you get into the field, sure, there's a lot of intuition. Oh, yeah. But when you're sitting there arguing a design, that doesn't fly in a room full of engineers. Like, well, I, I feel like that'll yeah. work. That's not an appropriate you gotta answer. You got to show everything right <laughs> now when it comes to sales and marketing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that in it, it's difficult to be an engineer or, or I would get criticized for because 
you know, we look at numbers and say, well, okay, an acceptable margin is X and this is that. And this is what I believe the deal should be. Salesmen don't work like that. That's not how the kind of, you know, rigmarole of sales goes. And mm-hmm. the, there's a certain cadence to that that tends to be difficult when you're just like, no, look, I've already done all the numbers. I know what's right. beneficial for you and what's beneficial for me. And this is the deal. We've optimized it. Right. right? So that doesn't always go over very well. It sounds like a recently learned lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Not in the last year. Maybe I, I would yeah. say I've been learning. I mean, and you learn it constantly, right? It's, it's just part of who you, what you've been trained to do and, and learning a new methodology and, and how to, how to deal with that. Hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, in, in general, does it affect me? Does, you know, being an engineer, how does that affect you? Me being a, uh, running a business? Well, here's, here's for sure, right? I definitely probably put more focus on R and D than most other people, you know, who are CEOs of, of extraction companies. That's really important to me that we continue to innovate. Um, so that, that would be definitely one of them. Right. If you, if you knew someone who, had an aptitude that's to be an engineer, but they didn't necessarily have a degree from Drexel. How would you tell them to get started in the industry in a way that would help them apply that aptitude? So you, you mean somebody who's like technically savvy yeah, and kind of gets yeah. the... I come across so many people in the, the world outside of cannabis, which is unlike a lot of people in cannabis, and they want to know how to get in. They don't know how. And um, I'm curious because I've heard about different kinds of engineers and how do they get in if they're a place where they're able to apply that aptitude? Yeah. Speaking from my own background, one of the best things that I ever did as an engineer was not work as an engineer, but was work as an operator. You learn so much operating machinery. Really? And, oh yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're a machine operator, you learn how the machine works. So if you're technically savvy and you want to learn more about the machinery and, and gain that knowledge... If, especially if you don't have a formal background, go be an operator. Operators, mm. it's a good job. You learn the machinery. You can, you know, you get your hands all in it. You're in it. You're the one running the machine. You learn how that works. Mm. And if you, you know, if you look at being an operator also as, well, let me learn how this all functions. Let me learn what's going on here. Not just I come in, I turn this valve, I turn this pump on, I turn this off, but just like, how does it work? Mm-hmm. Right. Always ask. That's the big thing. Ask how. Right. Ask why and figure out all that. Now you're valuable because you understand how the machinery works. Mm-hmm. So guess who they're going to come to when they need to make a change to the machine? They're going to come to you. You're the guy who knows how it works. Right. So that's I always tell people, like, if you want to get into any any industry, if you're tech savvy, you don't have a background, go into operations. A lot of bigger industries, a lot of bigger companies mm-hmm. will actually elevate operators into engineers, meaning they'll pay for you to go to night school mm-hmm. to be on the engineering because who knows their machinery better than somebody who's been in ops for 10 years, right. right? Right. Now, you know, everything that's wrong with the plant, you become an engineer, you sit on the team now that optimizes the machinery. Mm-hmm. So in our industry, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot, technology is just starting to come in really. Right. I mean, it's seems for me like it's been decades, but it's really, you know, been a couple of years. So if you look at, you know, coming into ops, learning that, then you can go to, uh, you know, kind of move up the ranks on, on that side of it. Uh, that's one aspect Two, you know, there's a lot of engineering companies now servicing the cannabis industry. What I always tell people who have trade skills, welders, you know, even if you're, if you're, if you've got plumbing aptitude, uh, machinists is, is go look at these engineering companies 
that are servicing the cannabis industry, a lot of these companies need help mm-hmm. and they need, you know, they, they, they need people to come in and give them a hand. And I tell people, especially, especially if you've been in a long time position as a machinist or a welder or an engineer, if you come into the industry, you're probably not going to make the same money you were before. Just, you're going to have to probably take a pay cut to come in. This is a new industry. It's tight all around. It's, mm-hmm. it's difficult and wages are just not what they are in established industries. So, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, well, I want to, I want to get into cannabis. Well, that's difficult. It's, it's just, you're not going to find the same thing that you've had at your five year job. You know, you're not, you've already risen in, to you the do, right. You can move differently. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that you, there's a, you can move faster for sure. Mm-hmm. These are emerging industries, right? Right. Two years from now, it's going to be a very different landscape. If you're still in the, in the marketplace, if you're still there, that two years is vastly more experienced than somebody who's mm. got zero years. Yeah. So you're really, you have the ability to kind of, um, you know, make decisions that, w- that nobody else can at that right. point. So pull the trigger people. That's the message. There. I, I just say, just go. Yeah. If you can, you know, if, if you want to get into the industry, I, I know this sounds stupid, but just do it. Find There's plenty of opportunity. Right. And on top of that, I think this industry could use more technical people, especially in operations and especially in, in your ops and maintenance, as we call it. Mm. There's just not, you know, that, that hasn't been where we've been focused, but it's needed. It's really going to be needed. We had a guy um, in recently, and I think uh, my partner Alex asked the question, what could Amazon learn from cannabis? And, but what could cannabis learn from the world of engineering? Ooh, yeah, we're learning it now. And I think that the big thing is, you know, the, the, the most technology that we use in this space is in our field, right? Is in extraction and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And you're now seeing that the industry is learning from standard industry, the procedural, you know, nature of manufacturing and the procedural nature of running an operations company where you have to be on top of your maintenance schedules. You have to be on top of your new you know, R and D, you have to schedule in all the installation and, and everything of all the new equipment that you want. Mm. So I think, you know, cannabis in general is maturing into the standard, you know, whatever you want to call it, standard fields that they, that they mirror, right? Dispensaries are becoming more like standard retail distributors are while they're distributors. There's nothing to that. (laughs) Well, not that there's nothing to it. I I mean, they're, they're the same one and one and the same. And then you've got, uh, you know, the manufacturing companies were, mu- were operating much more like food manufacturers than I've ever seen, you know, and you've got the cultivators are now looking like ag sites. You okay. go down to some of these grows and they look more and more like an agricultural center or, you know, a true agricultural grow than a tucked away cultivation. Hmm. You feel like, uh, the, the professional industry, industrial competition is kind of bringing out the inner engineer in cannabis. Oh, for sure. I mean, the scale up is scaling up is a huge part of it, right? This is, I mean, yeah, like I said, we were doing two pounds, two pound columns, 10 pounds to 20 pounds a week. That was, you know, what, 2016, 2015, 16. That wasn't that long ago. You know, now we're 10 X hasn't been 10 years. That's not an X a year. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's moving fast and that takes, that takes engineering, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, 
engineering machinery or, or engineering your, your system, you know, there's systems engineering too, right? A lot of the cultivation sites have to deal with that. Right. And there's a lot of technology that goes into cultivation. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about the, the, the stuff from grows to doses pens that light up. There are people applying what you do all over the, you got it. And it's kind of invisible. And I think that's interesting. It is. And you know, and I think aside from a few engineers, engineers typically, and, and, and when I say engineers, I mean anybody in the kind of mechanical side of things mm-hmm. and the operations side, even mm-hmm. your job is on the back end. There's a reason they call it back end. And, you know, running a business, you see that I think even more so, right? You see the very, because you have to manage the difference between the front end and the back end of a business. Mm. And that's okay. You're the one who makes it work. Right. You're like the machine that drives the whole thing. People see the external facing sides, right? The brands, you know, if you're, or sales reps, or you see all that, right? Mm-hmm. How did that get made? How did that get made? That was a huge team behind making that, right? <laughs> there was a ton of people that went into those products. Yeah. And all you see, you see the image, you see the brand, you see the people that, that, that are out there in the street doing it, but you don't see all the people that were behind it. And that is a super valuable position. Right. And, and it, you know, every, every brand you've ever seen has that behind it. So it's there, you know, it, it's a huge part of the industry. And, and I think that People should just have pride. I, don't, I think being on the back end of a system is amazing. I love that That's side super, of it. I, I love everything behind the curtain. Hey, Elvis McGovern, um, I got to ask any products or things you need to talk about, um, stuff that's coming out, are you, the brands you'd like to talk about. I see products around this room that I know that you've made. Yeah, yeah. We have, well, we have three house brands right now that we're really, we're really pushing. One is uh, Focus Concentrates. Focus Concentrates is a really high-end, dabbable product, mm. and they've done an amazing job here. And then we've got Pop-Up Popcorn, which we've been doing today, which is the microwave popcorn line. Right. So they're coming out with some new products, too. I can't quite talk about those yet, <laughs> but they're going to be really cool. They're coming out early next year. Okay. And then we've got Populist Cannabis, which is our value cartridge line, right. which is a 100% cannabis line that I, I tried to get out so that we could have affordable cannabis. Yeah. Which is, is the value cartridge line something that people are picking up? It seems like the marketplace is a market for it, but is it, how's it there doing? There is. Uh, all right, yeah. this goes into a whole another thing, but you know, the short answer is one of the things that's really interesting that I don't think a lot of people really see um, in the cannabis industry is that the traditional market is still humongous in California. And if you are a value, traditional, free, if, all that stuff, if you, you got it. So if you are a value based customer, you most likely do not shop in dispensaries. Right. <laughs> um, so if I feel very, I, I really believe that there has to be a quality value option. I'm really big on that. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, access to good products, it, it shouldn't break your bank. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to have that product no matter what out in the, I always want to be in that space. Yeah. I definitely am seeing them in flower, but I haven't seen it in this area. I haven't really been looking, but, um, it's good to know that you're behind it in that way. So yeah, we should say goodbye, man. But thanks a lot for the yeah. time. It's good. Time. Thank you. I learned some things. All right. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at weed week news or email us. Hello at weedweek.net. You can join our Patreon. You'll get an additional episode of Weed Week of the Weed Week podcast each month, plus lots of more cool gifts, and you can check it out at patreon.com slash weedweek. 
For more Weed News, you can sign up for the Weed Week newsletter, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producer is Hannah Smith and Alicia Byer wrote our theme music. Additional music is from the late, great Andre Bush. We'll see you next week. Bye.